Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. I was chatting to uh, a mum the other day, and she had just come back from visiting family and friends in Scotland, and she'd driven there herself. She said it had taken eight hours, um, you know, there, eight hours back. And with her in the car was her two children, maybe like a seven-year-old or six-year-old, and a two-year-old, something like that, I can't remember exactly, but it was roughly those kind of ages. And uh, she was saying how they listened to Disney, Encanto, soundtrack, the whole way there and the whole way back. So I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one yet, and maybe they'll see that one in the future. But, um, so she, was, you know, she knew every song line by line, 16 hours over the course of a weekend. I'm sure many other people can resonate with that, something of that experience, uh, where maybe a Disney song or a children's film, if you have kids, has taken over a season of your life. And it's amazing how they learn it line by line. Um, but, you know, for all of us as well, sometimes maybe in our lives there's a, a particular song that kind of, uh, in, you know, uh, grabs us in a particular season and maybe, um, like, defines that season or that trip or uh, that moment uh, in our lives. And, you know, when we hear it, you know, years later on the radio or something or someone plays it, it, it takes you right back to that holiday or that wedding you were at. Or Does that make sense? Have you experienced that before? And also as well, maybe um, you've found over the course of your life that maybe there's a worship song that's particularly resonated with you in a particular season of your life. Maybe, um, you know, you're going on a real faith adventure and there's something in the words that really capture that. Or maybe it's been a difficult time and it's been a song that really brings you into God's presence and maybe you found it difficult to pray, but the words of the song are like a prayer for you. Or maybe it's been a really celebratory song and you just, you know, really sums up how you feel about, about God. Has anyone experienced that before where a worship song just really catches you and, and sits with you? Um, I'm not sure. I've experienced that for sure. Well, anyway, in Jesus' day, they didn't have, uh, they didn't grow up on Disney films and Disney soundtracks, but the stories that they grew up on and the songs that they learnt growing up were uh, the stories from the Old Testament and the Psalms, and they would learn these Psalms, which were songs and poems, and they would learn them, and they would sing them, and they would know them line by line. And today, as we carry on with our series, uh, Last Words at the Cross, where we're looking at the things that Jesus spoke, the seven things that Jesus spoke whilst he was on the cross, um, today we're going to see how Jesus drew on a Psalm as a worship song and um, remembered it and recited it in the midst of his greatest challenge and struggle. So we're going to explore that together. So first of all, let's have a little look at what happened. And these particular um, Jesus words that we're looking at today are recorded in Matthew and Mark's Gospels. And for them, these are the only thing that they record Jesus saying on the cross. They refer to him saying other things, but these are the only words that they actually recorded written down. So... We'll start at the moment that Jesus is sentenced to death, and then we'll go through and we'll see where these, uh, what Jesus says. So let's have a look together. It says this in Matthew 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, 
Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was, a, was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Well, let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the criminals who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemai shabakdani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here in this moment, we get a glimpse of the weight of what Jesus carried on the cross. We obviously know of the intense physical suffering of crucifixion, But then added to that, Matthew and Mark, as they record what happened to Jesus, they bring to the surface the way that Jesus was mocked and ridiculed by soldiers, by the religious leaders, by the priests, by bystanders, by the people crucified next to him. We see how Jesus, in this as well, how he was falsely accused. And there's something really horrible about that, isn't there? You know, like in the news recently, where we've seen Ukraine and Russia, and sometimes where, you know, like, a school has been bombed, and then, you know, someone shares about it, and then in the, me- in the kind of Russian media is, oh, they faked it, and, you know, they're lying about what's happened, and it's just something really horrible about that, isn't it, where, where someone is falsely accused in their suffering. There's something really awful about it, and Jesus, the Son of God, endures this treatment on the cross, and what's amazing about Jesus is that he could have He could have saved himself. He could have saved himself at various points from his arrest to his trial to even being on the cross. He could have saved himself. You know, it was an illegal... There was many moments where Jesus could have escaped this, but he chose not to. He restrained his own, you know, that urge for self-preservation for us. And instead, his response is he cries out, My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? And as we know, Jesus would always, when he would pray, he would always call God Father. And he taught us to pray, you know, Father. But here he cries out, my God, rather than calling him Father. And so in this moment, it shows how Jesus took on the weight and consequences of sin and all that is wrong and broken in our world In 2 Corinthians, it says this, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because as people, we were made for relationship with God, to know his love, to know his friendship, to know his purpose, and to partner with him in this world. But in the Bible, we see this story of how humanity, they thought they could do it better on their own, in their own way, in their own strength, rejected God. And this is what the Bible calls sin. That's what it means. And it manifests itself in the wrong things that we do. And often we hurt others or hurt ourselves. And it produces this barrier of separation between us and God and the friendship and the goodness and the life and the love that he wants and he has for us and he invites us into. And sin is contagious on the Alpha Course. They describe as this. They say how sin pollutes. And we see that in our world today, don't we? You know, when you look at the news, sometimes you see what's going on. It's just so, it's so needless. Especially when, you know, we know that there's enough to go around. There is enough for everyone, you know, and it's so needless what we see. But that's why God brought about the greatest rescue plan. When he himself came into the world as a man, Jesus, fully God and fully man. And as we see here, Jesus lived a sinless life. He was free from that pollution in his own life and own heart. And he lived out of his relationship with God in perfect unity and did all that God called him to do. And he followed him in every way. And so when Jesus died on the cross, as we read here, he didn't die for anything he had done wrong. But he took the sin and the brokenness of the world onto himself. And in this moment, as Jesus cries out, we see how he experiences the weight and consequences of that of sin and that separation between humanity and God when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ultimately he dies. And obviously there's a, a bit of a mystery in how this works because Jesus is God, so God can't forsake himself. But we see how Jesus is experiencing the weight of, what, of humanity's separation from God. And God himself was willing to take that upon himself so that it could be broken and it could be ended and so that it could be set free. And so Jesus, fully God but fully man, as a man, embraced all that we experienced, cries out in anguish, and he took on our suffering because of God's love for us. Jesus, as a man, having done nothing wrong, is then raised to life, as a man, is raised to life. And so in doing that, he creates a new pathway for all of us, for all of humanity, that death is no longer the end, but Jesus broke his power, the power of sin was raised to life again. And now he's created a new pathway for, our, for us as people to have our relationship with God restored, because Jesus, as a man, restored relationship with God. And so now we can come behind him and follow in that as well. He gives us the victory that he won over sin and death. He brings us into relationship with God through himself. And when we follow Jesus, when we choose to follow that pathway that he has forged for us, and we trust in him for our lives, he forgives us for the things that we've done wrong. He comes into our lives. We have relationship with God now and for eternity. And one day Jesus promises that he will return and he will bring heaven to earth and all the brokenness in our world will be made right and whole and we will live with him in eternity forever, experiencing the goodness and the love and the purpose that he always intended for us in our world. And so it's amazing, in this cry, we see the extent 
of God's love for us. And we see how much Jesus was willing to give for what he won for us. But there's another layer in this moment as well to what Jesus is doing as he calls out here. And firstly, when the different people are mocking Jesus, if we go back to that bit, see if it reminds you of any other occasions in Jesus' life. If I read it again, maybe it will spring out to you. So Jesus on the cross, and he's being mocked by the people standing around. This is what they say. Look at you now, they yelled at him. If you are the Son of God... Save yourself and come down from that cross. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. For he said, I am the son of God. So when you see that there, does that remind, does that remind you of another part of Jesus' life? Any guesses? Anyone want to shout out for me? Yeah, that's it. Jesus' temptation. Jesus in the wilderness. So... Here we go. In these insults, we get a flashback to the very start of Jesus' mission when he was in the wilderness after he'd been baptized and before he did any of his ministry. And he went out into the wilderness to pray and to fast. And when he was there, Satan tempted him. And he tempted him to use his relationship with God, his power, his authority for his own gain, if you like, for, you know, for selfish reasons, for, you know, to promote himself and his own interests. And it says this, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he, that's the first one. There's another three. And uh, so do you see, it's the same, it's the same words. It's the same temptation. It's the same way that he is Jesus is being baited, and Jesus here says, you know, in this moment, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, and he quotes the Bible, the Old Testament, in his answer, but it's the same words, if you are the son of God, and so here we see two things. The first one is that as Jesus is on the cross, there's a spiritual battle going on as well as just what's on the surface, and in our broken world, There are spiritual forces of good and evil, God's kingdom, and what the Bible describes as a kingdom of darkness, or of Satan, who is opposed to all of God's goodness and all of God's life. And in Jesus' crucifixion, we see how this spiritual darkness plays in partnership with humanity's wrongdoing, and all that corruption comes together in the moment where, you know, leaders and the Roman Empire and the Jewish uh, religious leaders in their corruption and jealousy, come together and crucify a clearly innocent man, which everyone could see was innocent, which everyone knew was innocent, and yet crucified him for their own reasons. And then secondly in that, we see how Jesus, in this moment of struggle, is being enticed to change course. He's being baited to use his power to break free from the cross, And to abandon the rescue mission that he's been called to. To save himself instead. Could you imagine how that, you know, that being thrown at you. And we see Jesus being tempted in this way. But how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to this temptation? Well, just like he did in the wilderness, he responds by drawing on God's word. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here, Jesus is actually quoting from a psalm, from Psalm 22, one of the songs that they would have grown up learning and knowing by heart and singing at different times. And uh, Jesus 
This is where this comes from, and it's the opening line. It's actually Psalm 22 is a psalm of King David, um, and King David lived one and a half thousand years before Jesus' time, and so this had been written way before uh, Jesus was, you know, on the earth. But amazingly, this psalm, it describes what Jesus went through so accurately. And so it's a really prophetic psalm, and it shows how the Old Testament points towards what Jesus was going to do. Mike Pilavachi, some of the youth may know, who ran Soul Survivor, he describes this, this was a psalm written for Jesus to sing on the cross. And the opening line is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus cries out line by line, uh, word for word exactly. And then the last line of the psalm is, he has done it, which some people say it it mirrors Jesus' last words on the cross, which we'll get to in the last week, where Jesus cries out, it is finished. And so some theologians think that Jesus probably recited or sang or prayed this whole psalm whilst he was on the cross, whether it was out loud or whether it was just in his head and his heart, uh, you know, we don't know, but they say that, you know, the, the first and the last line match on to one another. So this is how Jesus responds when he's in his greatest struggle, his greatest challenge, and he's being tempted or being, uh, trying to be tempted, if you like, to change course. And so for us, shall we have a, are you up for having a little look at the psalm together and seeing how it compares to Jesus' experience as we kind of finish? Are you up for that? Okay, so we'll do that in a second. But as we do... I think this is really useful for us today for thinking about how do we respond when we go through moments of pain or challenge or suffering. And we all go through these things at different times in our life, sometimes big, sometimes smaller, sometimes whether it's something as big as, you know, loss and grief, or other times it might be something as simple as, you know, a falling out at work or falling out with a spouse or a housemate or when someone lets us down, when we've been hurt by someone, when we're disappointed that something hasn't gone our way, when we didn't get that job we were going for, or when that didn't, you know, that didn't work out, or you know, when your rugby team gets thrashed on the weekend, or, or when we're just generally discouraged with things. In those moments, do you find that sometimes we can be vulnerable to being tempted, just like Jesus, they were baiting him to change course, that we can be tempted to get off track and to fall back from who we know God has called us to be and the things he's called us to do. And it doesn't always mean like, you know, blaming God and walking away from him entirely. But sometimes it can look like using our discouragement as an excuse to behave in ways that we know aren't right, as an excuse to sin. But in Romans... It says this, oh, here we go. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And in Ephesians, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. And I think for anger here, we could extend that to all of the raw emotions we feel when we go through pain and struggle and trial in this way. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I love the saying that the Obamas had when he was running for president. I saw an interview with Michelle Obama, and she was saying how, you know, you know how in American politics it can get very nasty and personal and slander and those type of things? And they used to say, when they were going through all that, they would say, when they go low, we go high. 
And the idea was that when they'd come under these personal attacks and lies and slander, that they weren't going to respond in kind. They said, no, that's not who we are. We're not going to use that as an excuse to do the same, because that's not us. When they go low, we go high. And I, I don't know if they did that perfectly. You know, we all slip up at different things. But I think that was a, that's a great aim to have, isn't it? I think it really mirrors what Paul was saying. You know, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil by doing good. Because for us, you know, we all live in a broken world. Where there's a battle of good and evil taking place. And we all experience suffering and pain at times in our lives. And that's the very reason that Jesus experienced it too on the cross. So that ultimately, we would know his rescue, his wholeness, his healing, and we would know that for all eternity, for all eternity. That's what God wants for us, and that's why Jesus suffered too. So in, when we're in those moments, let's draw on Jesus. In Hebrews, it says this, so then, since we have a great high priest, and high priest there, Imagine this is like representative, someone who represents us to God and God to us. So then, since we have a great representative who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. So let's hold on to Jesus when we go through these moments. And know that, you know, when they go low, we go high. And that when we are in a challenge, we do not be overcome by evil, but we conquer evil by doing good. And we do that by leaning on Jesus and one another. So let's have a look at the psalm together. We'll see how Jesus prayed in this moment. And um, we'll see how amazingly prophetic it was what Jesus went through. And also, there's four things in it which I think Jesus did, which are helpful for us as well. Okay, so you up for that? So we'll, we'll put them together side by side. So here we go. Psalm 22, it says this. I, I won't read the, um, the, the matching ones, okay? I'm, I'll just leave them up there, okay? So you just see them as you go along, or you can compare them later if you really, really want to. So it says this. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And so the first thing here is we see how honest and raw Jesus is. And also David, who wrote this psalm, they cry out, God, where are you? You know, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you answering? Where are you? And sometimes that's how it feels, isn't it? We're in the, when we're in the middle of something and maybe we're praying about something and we haven't seen the answer or, you know, we haven't feel like we've not seen God respond and we can cry out and be honest and that's what Jesus does here. And God invites us to be real with him. Jesus was. We don't have to pretend that everything's okay all the time because it's not. We can come to God honestly and openly and be real with him. And as we do that, that's where we find his strength and his closeness and him rush in to help us in different ways. And we see that's where it goes next. It says this. Oh, I've, uh, have I lost a slide? Okay, let me read it because I've lost a slide. It says this. Jesus said, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises 
in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And so the second thing there is remembering what God has done in others. So Jesus, and in this psalm, is saying, you know, but God, this is what you've done in the past. This is how you've rescued. This is how you've saved. This is, you know, who I know you to be. And so for us, in these moments where we're in a struggle and we're, you know, going through something, is to remember, well, what are the things I've seen God do? What are the things I've seen God do amongst us together, in my friends, in my family, in our church? And who can I draw on? Who can I lean on? And remembering the things that Jesus has done as well and leaning on one another. Okay, next we see how it describes what Jesus was going through on the cross. The psalm says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display and people stare and gloat over me. And that's what would happen when someone was crucified, that the bones, the position they were in, the bones in their body would be dislocated and could protrude, you know. Okay. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. So this is the third thing here, is remembering what God has done in our lives. This is what Jesus, he remembers, you know, as he's singing this psalm, he's remembering the journeys had with God from birth to now. And for us, is when we're in these moments, is Let's draw and remember the things that God has done in our lives, the answers to prayer, the faithfulness, the rescues, all the different things that we know of. It can be easy to forget when we're going through a struggle, the good things and the faithfulness of God, but these are the times to call them to memory and to know, uh, to know them. Okay, I'm going to s- skip over this one. Um, let's have a look. So, Jesus, so now the psalm prays, deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So see how Jesus now at the start you know, it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we see how it's balanced here as he goes through this psalm that he's like, but you have heard my cry for help. You are with me. I know your presence with me. And we see the journey of the psalm and how the, the two go together. And then next, it looks ahead to what God is about to do and the rescue that he is doing. It says this, 
The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. And that's right down to us today. You know, this was first written, I don't know, I mean, Jesus was 2,000 years ago, and then this was written one and a half thousand years before that. And here we are today talking about it, three and a half thousand years later. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. Okay, maybe it's just me. (laughs) They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amazing. And that's the final part, what Jesus in this psalm does. And what we can do is we look ahead and we hold on to God's promises that Jesus is alive, that he has won for us eternity, and that ultimately we'll experience his rescue and his restoration fully in our lives. And in the meantime, as we follow him in our broken world, We know that he is with us. He is the one who stands alongside us in our suffering, in our pain, in our struggle, because he went through it himself. He knows it. He feels it. He understands it. And he's alongside us to lead us into life with his strength. And that's for every one of us. So why don't I pray for us to finish? Jesus, we thank you for all that you endured on the cross and all that you experienced on our behalf. And I thank you that we can know and be sure that when we go through times of struggle and suffering and pain, that you are with us, that you can empathize with us, and that you come alongside us to strengthen us, that you lead us into life, because ultimately you have overcome, and you are alive, risen from the dead, and your life and power and rescue us for each one of us. And so Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come and fill us again now with your presence. And for anyone here who's in the middle of, a middle of a struggle and a challenge, I pray, would you strengthen them right now? Would they know your heart? Would they know you close? And would you help us to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome it by doing good and to follow you into life? In Jesus' name, amen.